0: Greetings, both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at Simmons at Enjoy the show. So I've been listening to the audiobook for The Pillars of the Earth, which has come up before because it is about... Well, okay, so it says it's about the White Ship disaster where the son of, of Henry the First, Matilda's brother, died.
1: Oh, right, yeah. The story that at the time was probably a huge tragedy, but now looking back several hundred years later, <laughs> it's kind of a comedy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now it's, so it's interesting, and, and, and I'm enjoying it, but... I'm kinda of confused because it's 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 well after the white ship disaster because Stephen is firmly entrenched as king, which means Henry the oh. First is dead. It kind of focuses on a Mason who's like going around like just trying to get a gig building churches and stuff, and then so Stephen ends up kind of getting introduced as a character who has to like authorize the building of a cathedral and like little things like that. So it just kinda of just neat having that it's set in that world and you know, like someone like Stephen's a minor character. Okay. Matilda and her brother are discussed but like aren't necessarily characters yet or not know if they're going to be but anyway it's good i just kind of like that it's you know perfectly related to things we've talked about and uh i am kind of yeah. curious why it said though that it was about the white ship disaster if that's basically just kind of mentioned in the foreword and that was it so far and now we're well past that but anyway so welcome to history and film we are breaking down World history. Oh, well, we did world history. We're now doing American history uh, in chronological order, one movie at a time. And we've had a tough go of it as far as finding good movies to start uh, our American history journey. And we really have.
1: (laughs) I think it's I I think I've said this before. But yeah, when we were doing world history, I mean, we well, I, I mean, you picked like the 50 over 50% of the movies, because you picked, you know, the first couple seasons worth, but, like, there was not many movies that I didn't, like, actually enjoy.
0: Right, that felt like homework, right. American History is feeling more like homework. Like, there,
1: there were a couple, there there were a, a decent number of movies that I was like, oh, these are okay, but, I mean, I think Avita might have been the only one that I actually disliked. That's probably fair. Whereas, so far... It's been kind of rough, to be honest. It's been kind of rough. It's yeah, one of these early American history movies.
0: And I feel like today's movie, 1776, is probably going to fall into a similar category where I didn't mind it and even kind of liked parts of it, but also, I mean, I'm guessing you hated it, if I had to guess.
1: No. So, so here's the thing. I thought that this was a lovely movie. Oh, okay, good, good. Good, so, good, good. Well, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I liked this movie way more than I thought I was going to. I really liked the characters. I liked a lot of the dialogue. I thought it was way it was way funnier than I thought it was gonna be. Yes, that was the biggest I one. I mean, there was stuff that was like it, there were I was laughing out loud at some of like the Benjamin Franklin stuff, especially I thought it was awesome. Absolutely. However, this movie is severely hamstrung by the fact that it's a musical. Yep. <laughs> if this movie and it's 2 hours and 45 minutes long if they just cut out all of the musical numbers this movie would have been awesome this, it would have been way better
0: right and that, that was my my biggest note and i and i told my mom who's a big fan of this movie and this musical i was like there's no reason for this to be a musical and the part that's no. not are not a musical is actually like really good yes it's almost like awkward when they start singing now again it's not yes. it's not bad like aveda's bad but right. it's just like, why is this a musical? This would actually be really, really good if it wasn't trying to be a musical. I know. I know. It is
1: like the movie builds up in the dialogue and stuff. Like there is, it builds up some momentum. Like it builds up steam. And you're like, oh, wow, this is, it's funny. There are times where it's like, it really makes you really kind of like humanize these people. and like And like sets you in the world of what it's like to live in 1776. And then all of that just comes to a screeching halt every time they start singing. And it's like, oh, god damn it! So now we gotta listen to an- another musical number for, like, the next five minutes. And the musical numbers don't really even advance anything. They just, like, it's like a five-minute song about, like, something that could have taken
0: 30 seconds of dialogue to say. And there's no iconic songs. Like, we talk about something like Fiddler on the Roof. And right. It's like, oh, that song's from that. Oh, that song's from that. Yeah. I've never heard of none of these songs, and I don't care about any of these songs. Like, there's nothing yeah. that even sticks out. Even Evita has the one good song. Yes. This has just the most mundane songs of all time. Again, yeah. they're not bad. They're just unnecessary. So much about this movie is just unnecessary. The most egregious example of this, to me, was
1: the scene where the courier is talking to the two, like, secretary guys for Congress. So they have the military courier that keeps bringing in all the letters from George Washington. It's a great scene because it's it's not any of the main yes. characters. It's not none of the delegates of Congress are even in this scene. It's like the courier who's like this low ranking military guy. Oh right. And then the the there's like two uh the two guys that you see I forget their names even but they're like the guys that are like recording stuff and like the the, the one guy's the guy who keeps tearing down the calendar day. He's just kind of like a secretary kind of helper clerk type guy for, oh, yep, for the yep. for the Congress. So it's it's these three guys.
0: Right. Basically he works at the building kind of thing, yeah.
1: Right. So it's these three guys sitting there and like it's such a great scene because it it's none of the it doesn't have any of the like grandiose big ideas of should we be loyalists, should we, you know, the constitution or slavery, like all these big heavy nation-defining ideas it's just these three guys and like the it starts off kind of like funny they're like oh let's get some beers or like start have some drinks and like they keep calling the this kid this courier they keep calling him general like oh hey general let you know have a beer with us or whatever oh yeah then one of them asks this kid if he did any fighting and he talks about yes you know he was in combat he saw combat at lexington and concord and he he like tells this really heartbreaking and like poignant story about these the two guys in his unit that got killed and then after the battle their moms came out looking for them, wondering where they are like when they were gonna be home for dinner and like these two kids were the ones that were dead and it was like you know that that happened in their in their hometown and it's like oh man like this is this is really good like this is great stuff for a movie and then the music starts and I was like fuck (laughs) No, please, please, God, no, do not ruin this moment with a song. And, like, the song is fine musically. It's not like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. But it's just, it's like, I really did not want that to be interrupted with one of the stupid songs. And it was interrupted with one of the stupid songs. If if they did nothing, but just cut, yeah, even if they yeah. didn't alter anything else about the movie, just cut out the scenes where there is singing. This movie goes up 10 percentage points maybe 15 like
0: yeah yeah and honestly what i'd like to see is cuz i think it was well cast yeah so i would like to see me uh, maybe a mini series version with the same cast and we take our time but also take out the music right and let's actually get into these characters and have it just yeah there's there's a lot of potential with yeah. what's going on here i mean the biggest thing That um, I really did enjoy about this film. We'll start getting into like the actual details of the film and the uh, and the story here and the setup and everything. Is just the tone and just even like because I even watched like some clips again of the John Adams miniseries and it's so serious, right? And it's great, but it's so serious, yeah. And this is irreverent in a beautiful way that humanizes the founding fathers in a way that most things don't. Right. And I found that charming and also even kind of important to kind of remind us that these were just guys. They even say that in the film, that we're just people. Right, it's not like they're gonna deify us in the future. It's like, oh well, yeah, and yeah, you know, Frank Franklin just being so funny and so clever. Adams talking all the time about how everyone hates me. And it's almost like a running joke that everyone hates Adams, which is also kind of historically right. accurate. And just yeah, it's I know I, I like that.
1: It strikes the perfect balance of like it doesn't shy away from any of the serious stuff for the sake of comedy.
0: Right, right,
1: but it's not also like overly dour and serious. And like these guys understand that the weight of the world and the you know they're starting a new nation. It's like. It's the perfect, like, there is just as much, you know, lighthearted, comical stuff, you know, that's making me laugh out loud. It's, like, that funny at times. But then also, you know, when they're talking about, like, the debate over slavery, like, that stuff is, like, it does get really serious at at parts. Right. And I wish that a lot of that wasn't in song, but, you know...
0: An interesting comparison that just came to mind is it's kind of like how they talk about how from the medical profession standpoint or whatever, scrubs is more accurate than ER as far as what it's actually like, because real life people do infuse their professions with humor. And even though serious things happen... Most of the time, people will make light of it. So Franklin talking about, you know, we better hang together or we shall shall surely hang separately. Like you can see that quip while he's not kidding. He's also like making a joke out of it because that's what you do in real life. So what we've talked about kind of throughout the beginnings of our American history side of things here is that it's kind of just one finding good movies, but also even just kind of finding any movie that kind of bridges the gap and fills the time period here. So we did talk about the French and Indian War and things like that last week, and then before that we were with the Salem Witch Trials at the end of the 1600s, and now we're basically 80 years after that, and it just seems like a big jump. But I do kind of have something that bridges the gap, I think, that we could discuss, because it's the life of Benjamin Franklin himself. Okay. So I'm going to shift to Benjamin Franklin and kind of use him briefly as our gap bridge to kind of bring everything together and kind of cover that missing missing time period there isn't really a film about and
1: but before you start can I just ask something how has there not been a Benjamin Franklin biopic that's been like crazy popular and hugely commercially successful
0: right or even like that John Adams miniseries I mean give me that for Benjamin Franklin right I mean right yeah, and honestly, I mean, jumping way ahead here, we we kind of you know we we finished up our world history thing with that tournament for the most interesting person in history. Yeah, and we've talked about doing the same thing for American history, and maybe we can start brainstorming candidates along the way. I mean, come on, Benjamin Franklin is like a shoo-in for the final four, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just fascinating fascinating guy and and i had to stop myself from doing a full bio today
1: dear hollywood or anyone with enough money to make this happen make more movies set in this time period like yeah there are there are like
0: no good ones like if you make just one good one man and you can't tell me they wouldn't be commercially successful i mean right yeah i mean like even
1: something like you know like the patriot made a lot of money And it's not even that great. Right. And this, it's just like, it's so, this time period and like this subject matter, like the the start of America is like so, yeah, it's so ripe for for content.
0: Oh, I got it. We're breaking this wide open right now. I've got it. So you parallel the MCU and you do a separate film, like Uh a biopic style on each founding father. And then the Avengers is when they come together to sign the Declaration of Independence. Like, okay. Yeah, I mean, we're millionaires. We're gonna be millionaires now. <laughs> <laughs> how awesome would that be? Like, I, I'm, I'm actually being serious. Like, how awesome would that be to have like the same production company? That would be very awesome. Yeah, the same caliber, and it's like a founding father movie, and then the Avengers is basically 1776, the non musical version. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> Someone, some Hollywood, call us, please. <laughs> Now, watch that happen. And then we have to like sue because, like, one person who listened to this. <laughs> you know. Oh, and we will. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we are nothing if not litigious. <laughs> okay, so Benjamin Franklin, and again, this is going to be a very, very brief overview here, but uh, he was born in Boston in 1706, which, if you kind of think about how this does connect to the crucible. The Salem Witch Trials were, you know, 1692, 1693, so 13, 14 years before Franklin was born. And then we talked about how a lot of the people quickly recanted. So, right about the time Franklin is born, is when a lot of these things in Massachusetts, where he was born, are being discussed. And people are saying, oh, yeah, we went too far. Oh, yeah, here's how we can make sure these kinds of things don't happen again. And that's kind of the world in Massachusetts here that Franklin is born into. And then as he becomes an apprentice, At a print shop to his older brother, his brother's newspaper is even writing things critical of Cotton Mather, who was that religious leader in Massachusetts at the time and very, very prominent. And it's kind of the the Franklin boys that are kind of ribbing him or, you know, just kind of being just being critical of the authority he holds over Massachusetts. So into his teens, Franklin, I think he's about 16, when he starts writing an anonymous column in his brother's paper, where he's pretending to be like a, a middle-aged widow woman or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and she's just kind of like funny and witty, and these things are getting put in the paper. But his brother doesn't even know that it's Franklin or it's Benjamin that's been putting this stuff in. Like he doesn't know that his brother's the anonymous author.
1: Those uh, they're they're called the Silence Do Good letters because that's exactly the, that's yes. the pseudonym that he uses, and they come up in uh, in National Treasure. They're like, oh, okay, they're part of like the key to finding that that lost treasure of the freemasons is uh they have to use a code and then you know it's like you know the certain page of the certain and then on the certain line is the certain letter in that line type code and Silence do good and the yeah and the the documents that they're using for that is the silence do good letters
0: and a first name silence is definitely kind of a puritanical first oh, name yeah. that, we, that we've seen from this time with patience and stuff like that would and be fear. would be the names yeah and fear yeah there's <laughs> very a very puritanical name from this time period that kind of fits there too. And uh Franklin in general was kind of just a smart, witty, outgoing. He was just kind of a natural leader, even like, you know, the kind of kid that on the playground at 8 years old was kind of the leader among the boys. And that's kind of who Franklin always was. Anyway, so his brother was actually really mad when he realized that it was his that it was Benjamin writing these things and there was kind of a I don't basically they fought over it to the to the point that Benjamin ends up leaving but his leaving is actually escaping because apprenticeships at the time were kind of like legally binding oh. so he basically was not on the lam it's not like they were after him after him but like right. he could have been arrested for breaking the apprenticeship with his brother so he sneaks out of boston or whatever small town i don't know if they're actually in boston at that point but he he sneaks out of massachusetts and ends up in Philadelphia. Right. Where he actually isn't working long before he gets sent to London. He spends about 18 months in London. It's 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 kinda it's a weird thing where he kinda went over there to get some print good or some equipment to open a print shop in Philadelphia, but like the governor of Pennsylvania who sent him over there promising, Oh yeah, I'll give you a line of credit and a letter of recommendation, he basically was just BSing and he didn't actually have those things. So Franklin gets to London and is just kinda like has to fend for himself because that was all lies i guess oh. <laughs> so he just kind of so he basically starts working in london but doing you know just similar kinds of things you know doing his the print kind of stuff and just you know sales and just generally just working as a teenager in london after 18 months he does come back to philadelphia and then it's in uh 1728 when he's 22 years old he does open a print shop in philadelphia and a year later they start publishing the pennsylvania gazette he has various partners but It's from this point forward, while he's in Philadelphia in his 20s and 30s, that he starts to slowly become this person he's famous for being, where he's just kind of constantly striving to improve himself, to improve the community, and just has all these ideas that gain popular support, like opening a library, getting a volunteer fire brigade, he's experimenting with, you know, all kinds of little things. And develops the lightning rod and the bifocals, you know, establishes the college that becomes the University of Pennsylvania. All this is kind of happening into the, you know, the 1730s and 40s with Franklin being this driving force in a thriving Philadelphia.
1: Did he actually uh, invent the stove? Because that's like one of the things in the movie, like every time he introduces himself, he's like Benjamin Franklin and then the inventor
0: of the stove. So um, I didn't do a deep dive into that, but there is something called the Franklin stove, which I think was just basically used as like heating homes in the winter. And it was a, it was, it basically got warmer with less smoke than, than previous incarnations of that. So I think it was, I think that's the stove specifically that he used was for heating homes, but I didn't look too, too deep into that.
1: When they're, uh, it's like when they're, when they're trying to talk to Jefferson's wife that he hasn't seen in like how many months. And they're just, like, making out and, like, not paying. And John Adams is like, oh, and and uh, Benjamin Franklin, the inventor of the stove. And then, like, in the next scene, when they finally do get introduced to where ben- Benjamin Franklin introduces himself, he says, I'm, I'm Benjamin Franklin, the inventor of the stove.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, be, I would be curious if maybe the Franklin stove was a precursor, though, to other models or something like that. So I, okay. I, 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 I didn't do a deep dive on the history of the stove. but
1: Right, I well, I just didn't know if that was accurate because, like, They made a big deal about it in the movie. I didn't know if that was, like, something that he was actually known for in the colonies at the time.
0: Okay. There was a Franklin stove, and so it actually could be accurate, especially with him being kind of precocious, that he would kind of mention it. Because he was also pretty proud of himself. So, that actually probably probably isn't too too far off. And then he actually... So, prior to the revolution, as we get into the 1750s and 60s, he actually spent most of the preceding couple of decades heading into the revolution in Europe kind of based out of London as kind of a de facto ambassador for Pennsylvania itself right so he was actually mostly over in Europe uh heading into the revolution but then by the time he gets back to Pennsylvania and I forget the exact years like 1772 1773, just kind of right on the eve of the revolution you now have a Franklin in his late 60s who's this very respected statesman and intellectual who's kind of famous all throughout the colonies which again every this kind of the stuff everyone kind of knows but it's just kind of nice to put the uh put the timeline there together and then i think too it's kind of interesting too because when we did world history or a lot of the movies will do it's like something we don't really know much about and we're kind of getting fascinated as we do these deep dives right we watched 1776 and then i you know excited to look into the research and it's it kind of is just versions of the stuff we've been hearing since we were five so you kind of do roughly know the story and i don't think there's any giant misconceptions that we're going to be shattering today for an american audience anyway right but at the end of the day as we kind of get into the second continental congress here and we'll kind of bounce around talking about some other things here too it really is as simple as A bunch of English colonies that we've talked about how those were established over the last 150 years and you know gradually grow in size and safety and security and establishing you know off you know fighting the French and the Indians and just kind of establishing these cities and and becoming more and more thriving as colonies of the British Empire then then become disgruntled when they don't feel like they have accurate representation or control over their own their own lives and feel like they should be autonomous and that like it's it's just kind of what we've heard all growing up and that that is in broad strokes what it is and what we're talking about today. Right. Yeah, so the 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 movie today is ultimately about the writing of the Declaration of Independence, but how that also wasn't necessarily a a gimme heading into the 1770s or mid-1770s here despite the frustrations that the the colonists had. Basically, There was no national government, but that's essentially what the Continental Congress is. There was one earlier, and then this was the second one. They basically just didn't. The colonies were so autonomous; you didn't need necessarily a national thing. But because of the common frustrations with Britain, they did kind of come together to make decisions on behalf of everyone. So it was kind of a the earliest form of a national government in what will become the United States is the Continental Congress, and it's the second Continental Congress formed in 1775 in May that. Is ultimately going to draft the constitution and it's just kind of getting together you have delegates from all the colonies to then vote on national quote-unquote national interests and that's where everyone in the movie then here starts stepping to together actually specifically it's kind of funny too the very i think the opening of the whole movie is they're calling adams down to vote but it's like they're just voting on oh yeah general washington yeah. says yeah. that we should make the rhode island guys all wear ratching uniforms like they're voting on kind of mundane stuff like that and adams is kind of fed up with it and it's actually john adams who is the the main character in the film today so why don't you launch into old john adams here
1: so uh john adams was born in braintree which is now quincy massachusetts and before any of our listeners roast me in the comments i know that braintree is still a town in massachusetts but the part that he was born in is now Quincy, if that makes sense. Oh, gotcha. Anyways. Okay. So he was born in uh, Massachusetts on October 20th, 1735. He uh, attended Harvard College, uh, which I, I think he, there's even, I forget what the context is in the movie, but I, he brings it up at least once that he graduated from Harvard.
0: Oh, at least once. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: you know, as graduates of Harvard are wont to do. <laughs> <laughs> He graduated from Harvard in 1755 and was a lawyer. During the kind of the start of the rise of tensions between the colonies and Great Britain, he led an opposition movement to the Stamp Act of 1765, which without going into too much detail, was basically a tax levied against the colonists by the British Parliament, where the colonists had no representation, that basically said that any time that you print anything uh you have to buy a stamp for it and that stamp the the money that you pay for that stamp then goes to the british government basically
0: right and where it kind of even got excessive it's just like oh you want to publish a newspaper well that newspaper has to be printed on stamped official paper you bought from us right
1: yeah 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 So obviously, the colonists did not like that. There was a bunch of protesting going on, and a lot of that was led by John Adams. Um, And that was kind of his first foray into opposition movement against Great Britain. That act was repealed the next year, but that was kind of the, uh, the beginning of the end, as it were, for Great Britain holding on to the American colonies. He was, uh, like I said, he was a lawyer. One of his most famous trials was actually for the British soldiers involved in the Boston Massacre. Yes. So the Boston Massacre was an incident that happened where a bunch of... Well, let me me back up. So uh, British Parliament, again, passed another tax law called the Townshend Acts that angered the colonies. It was basically taxes levied on the colonies to help pay for the British government administration in the colonies. But again, the colonists weren't they weren't asked whether they wanted that or not. They didn't get to vote on it. They had no representation in parliament, and so this led to, you know, similar opposition and anger in the colonies, you know, to the stamp act in 1765. So, as part of these protests, there was a crowd of protesters in Boston that began to kind of harass this lone British sentry and this mob kind of forms around him a runner goes gets some reinforcements so seven other guys show up and that just kind of makes the crowd even angrier and so they start to throw snowballs and ice and rocks at these soldiers and actually challenge them to shoot them
0: oh really?
1: <laughs> like saying oh what are you what are you going to do you're going to shoot us <laughs> and uh, that's that's exactly what they did. So they, in the confusion and the fact that they were, you know, outnumbered by this mob that was throwing stuff at them, they fired some shots. Uh, a couple of them actually fired directly into the crowd and they killed five people. And that's that's what is known as the Boston Massacre. Well, the soldiers involved were put on trial and there were like no lawyers that wanted to represent them, right? Because they didn't want to be associated with that, you know, as as you could imagine. But John Adams, even though he was, you know, not happy with the actions of Parliament said, well, everyone deserves a right to a fair trial and everyone deserves legal representation. So he represented them on principle, and six of the eight actually ended up getting acquitted. And some people say that, that was due to the jury being like heavily made up of loyalists. Mm. And also, I guess the prosecution didn't have a very strong case. But nonetheless, that uh, was one of the one of the big cases that John Adams was was known for was being the defense attorney for these British soldiers.
0: A couple of things worth noting real quick then, too, is so the picture or the what do you call that? That that print There's there's a word I'm, I'm, I'm missing for what that was kind of called. Uh, of all the British soldiers lined up on one side firing on the citizens, that's actually you know, kind of propaganda. Like, it, it was chaos; right. like it wasn't like they were lined up. They showed up, and yeah. everyone was just kind of everyone was just kind of mixed in everywhere. And yeah, right. shots were fired, but it wasn't like this lined up assault. That was part of the the propaganda that was put out at the right. time. Now, not saying that justifies or that they were justified, but just that it wasn't as it appears in that in that painting. Exactly. And I also wonder too if. You can kind of see where we talk about Adams being unpopular. I think it's because he's, oh, pedantic might actually might be the right word, but he's he's just such a, he's so principled, and he's going to stand for those principles even if they're unpopular. So even though right he doesn't advocate or support what the British you know did in this incident, he's like, yes, but that is superseded by the fact that everyone deserves a, a fair trial. And so even though I don't like it, they're going to get a fair trial. And if no one else is going to do it, well, then I'm going to do it. And I'll be the hated guy because I don't care if I'm hated. I just care about doing what is right. Exactly. And that's kind of his whole M.O., though, for the rest of his career. Exactly. Is he stands on principle, not what is popular.
1: Right. And that's something that we actually we see in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of showing that. The one thing that I thought was kind of curious is, like, he had those principles that he was going to stand by no matter what, but the one area that he was noticeably not gonna well not necessarily not stand on his principles but was willing to kind of sacrifice his personal principles for the what he saw as the greater good was on slavery
0: very reluctantly so as we as they show it here but yeah
1: yeah yeah and john Adams, he he never owned slaves Mm. he was actually i think it's like one of i forget the exact number but it's just like there was of everyone that signed the declaration of independence there was only like a couple like less than five that owned there or that never owned slaves at any point in their life and john adams was one of them and he actually he had a moral aversion to slavery he actually said I, i have a quote here where he talked about slavery he said i have though my whole life held the practice of slavery in such abhorrence that i have never owned a negro or any other slave though i have lived for many years in times when the practice was not disgraceful when the best men in my vicinity thought it not inconsistent with their character, and when it has cost me thousands of dollars for the labor and subsistence of freemen, which I might have saved by the purchase of Negroes at times when they were very cheap. Hmm. So basically, he said, like, you know, I have never liked slavery, and that has cost me a lot of money, and some of my friends own slaves, but I always thought that it is not good.
0: Right. He honestly doesn't get enough credit for having that view. And you feel like they kind of just give right. all the founding fathers a pass and just say, "Oh, it's the time," and they all did. It's like, well, no, not Adams. He thought it was BS. Right. When all the rest of them were owning them, right? Exactly. And it goes to show that
1: even in that time, there were people. It's not like everyone was cool with it, right? Which I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of not assigning like the values of today to people that lived 250 years ago, right? But at the same time, like you know when if someone says, oh, well, everyone, everyone thought it was fine. So like, you you know, it's like, no, there were people that knew that it was morally wrong. Right. There were people that held that opinion, too.
0: Right. Even as prominent as John Adams. Yeah, right.
1: But John Adams did want to keep it out of national politics, because he correctly saw the unity of the new America as like, pretty shaky. And right, basically, he was like, Alright, I think that the unity of this new country." Is more important than my personal aversion to slavery.
0: Right. It's also interesting if you think about when we talked about Amistad back, probably in the second season, 2018 or whenever, and it's his son, an elderly Quincy yeah. Adams, John Quincy Adams, that is kind of the, well, actually played by Anthony Hopkins, I think, and kind of mm-hmm. gives a famous speech to the Supreme Court. But it's just kind of interesting that it was his father was one of these early opponents uh, of slavery, so I just kind of tying everything together,
1: yeah, so going back in seventeen seventy four like you said that's when the first Continental Congress was formed. John Adams was one of the members of uh, one of the representatives from Massachusetts, and he started to get more and more uh, started to become more and more a proponent of independence. The battles of Lexington and Concord happened in 1775 uh, april 19th 1775 which is kind of the that's seen as basically the start of the revolutionary war even though there was no you know formal declaration of independence after april 19th 1775 that's when you have the continental army fighting battles against the british army
0: yeah, and this gets a little complicated. We're going to break down, I think, the military side of things here in a bonus episode. Right. But yeah, basically, the the fight for independence is actually kind of separate from the revolution. So you have this fighting of the revolt of the colonists. And then that actually begins like a year before the declaration is actually signed. So basically, we were going to be right. fighting them anyway. And then it's right. basically become a separate question if during that fighting, we should just decide to be a separate thing. Or if this fight is just for our own rights within the British Empire and so it's all kind of complicated and almost two separate things yeah right
1: and i think that that's something that is not necessarily known or well understood by a lot of people it's like when the fighting started it wasn't a fight for independence for a long time yes there you go it was basically a fight over grievances and then it was like oh okay if we're successful in this fight what do we like what do we want do we want just better relations with britain do we want to be fully independent? That's kind of the big, right. the big debate that's happening here in this movie.
0: Right. I think the Boston Tea Party was 1773, just to kind of yeah. give more things on the timeline. Yeah.
1: Right. So in 1776, he publishes a paper called Thoughts on Government, which basically just kind of outlines his ideas for what a republic Republican government should look like, and that you know it was, it was really popular and pretty influential in the formation of the the new American government. He was, like we see in the movie, frustrated at the slow pace at which independence was adopted. Basically, he was kind of like frustrated that everyone else couldn't just like get with him on the principles. He's like, well, if you just look at it, like principally, independence is the best option. So why can't everyone just like get on board? Why is it so hard? Like, why is everyone so wishy-washy about it? Why is everyone being so scared about declaring independence? Like, let's just do it
0: already. Right when the more common sentiment was that we are british subjects we have a king and we're just over here and it's right. it's i think it's easy again with our modern we know we know we're part of the united states and we know how this ha- kind of plays out but it's easy to forget that that wasn't necessarily a common or also people might have been scared you have british soldiers walking the streets everywhere and it's literally treasonous against your king to have these ideals exactly and so yeah and so adams was definitely again a guy who wasn't afraid to be unpopular.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and and even like there were a lot of people who kind of wanted to wanted to hold this middle ground. Um, I think it's it's shown pretty well in the movie, like when he's talking to the that delegate from Maryland and he said, So if we're successful in our fight, would would you want to be independent? And he says, Well, I suppose it and he says, No, no, no. Yes or no. If we're successful in our fight, would you want to be independent? And he says, Well well, yeah. And he's like, Okay, then like Get with independence. Let's declare independence. If that's how you feel, then let's like don't try and sit on the fence and wait and see one way or the other, you know, after the outcome, then decide, like, no, we gotta we gotta get on independent and he also makes a good point, like, declaring independence is also gonna be a huge motivator for the Continental Army. If all of a sudden they're not just fighting for this nebulous idea of just a better outcome, whatever that might be, if the idea is they're fighting for the independence of their own country, then that's like a, a way, way bigger motivator. So even though he was a big proponent of independence, he didn't necessarily want to be the one to propose a resolution in Congress, because he thought that if... Like it, he was so kind of unpopular and disliked personally by the other delegates that he was worried, like, oh, they, like they might just vote against it because it's me. Like, of course, I'm gonna propose independence. So he, if someone else will do
0: it, right? And it's a massive running joke throughout the whole entire movie. Is isn't there even a song about how they hate Adams? <laughs> like Yes, this is this is nonstop. Yeah, I have a I have a
1: quote about it at the well. I'll, I'll bring it up later because it's 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 in reference to something else, but. Yeah, so so basically he was kind of trying to work behind the scenes to get some other people to kind of, you know, shoulder a little bit more of the weight of pushing independence because he knew that he was kind of annoying to the other members of Congress. So it was, he did end up um, writing the preamble to what was called the Lee Resolution, which was proposed by Richard Henry Lee, a delegate
0: from Virginia. And not just having it not be Adams, they also wanted someone not from New England, which oh, is right. why Lee, Lee was the kind of the perfect candidate there. Yes.
1: And so he, he wrote the preamble to the resolution, um, but the, the guy who actually proposed it in, in Congress was uh, this Representative Lee from Virginia. The resolution said, these colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. And as soon as he proposed it, Adams seconded it.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so when they get to the point where they are kind of deciding on, or actually, yeah, they they end up getting a delay of six weeks. Like basically, the vote's on the fence, and they kind of decide that it has to be unanimous. That we can't like force a colony that doesn't want independence to just go along with the rest of us. So basically, we'll vote on it, but it's got to be unanimous. And then once they agree on that, then Jeff or then Adams is like, okay, well, hang on, if it's got to be unanimous, then we're going to need more time. So he gets kind of the deciding vote. Who? against his wishes, decided to be unanimous against the wishes of, say, the South, also then agrees to give him some, uh, some weeks of, like, to come up with a, what exactly are we going to be voting on? Like, what are we right. saying with our vote? And hence, hence the need to write a declaration.
1: Yeah. So once they decided that they needed to write a declaration, Adams organized what he called the Committee of Five, which was made up of John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Robert R. Livingston and Roger Sherman, which that's the song in the movie where they're all trying to, he's trying to tell everyone else to write it, and then they end up basically deciding on Jefferson. So that is pretty historically accurate. Jefferson thought that Adams should be the one to write it, because he was the one who had the strongest feelings about it. But Adams wanted Jefferson to write it and convinced him to write it. And there's actually, uh, so Adams was quoted later on in his life, basically like recalling a conversation between him and Jefferson. He said, Jefferson asked, why will you not? You ought to do it. To which Adams responded, I will not. Reasons enough. (laughs) (laughs) Jefferson replied, what can be your reasons? And Adams responded, reason first, you are a Virginian, and a Virginian ought to appear at the head of this business. Reason second, I am obnoxious, suspected, and unpopular. You are very much otherwise. Reason third, you can write 10 times better than I can. Well, Jefferson said, if you are decided, then I will do as well as I can. So is <laughs> similar to uh, the Lee resolution. Adams didn't want a new right. to write it. And he knew that he was going to be, like he said, obnoxious, suspected, and unpopular. He's like, I'm annoying. Everyone in Congress doesn't like me. So you're well liked and you're a good writer. So it's it's got to be you. And Jefferson says, OK.
0: And they do kind of... They hint at that in the movie where one of the delegates basically says, "Why is it always Boston? Why is it always Massachusetts?" Yeah, it's like the rest of us are mostly living in peace, and it's mass—it's basically Massachusetts versus the crown. Why are you trying to bring the rest right. of us into it? And when
1: you think about it, like that's—it's kind of true. Like the Boston right. Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, like John Adams, like that's all—not only Massachusetts—that's all in Boston. Right. It's like that's where this huge yeah, the the big revolutionary, you know, capital was basically Boston.
0: Let me go ahead and rope uh Jefferson then into this and then okay. go into the writing from there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Kind of the third main character in the film here is Jefferson. It probably is even in order. It's probably Adams, followed by Franklin, followed by Jefferson, as far as the leads in this in this film go. At least kind of the way I, I would see it. Although they kinda of get into a little bit of other people as well. So yes, he's kind of famously quite a bit younger than everyone else. He's just uh, thirty-two years old when they opened at the the second Continental Congress here. I do kind of think it's interesting that you're know, focusing on these three guys and they each kind of have a unique background. We talked about, you know, Franklin being the self-made rascal world traveler type who gets, you know, famous through printing and inventions and kind of advocacy for bettering his community. And then an Adams, who's more austere principled lawyer and just kind of a stickler to policy and justice and it's been yeah kind of boring but just kind of a, a workman lawyer whereas Jefferson is considerably more aristocratic than those two guys so you know Adams and Franklin kind of were more self-made men versus Jefferson inherits you know a massive estate i mean he he inherited like 5000 acres Oh, and, wow. in his early twenties is already taking over like the state that becomes Monticello that he builds in his twenties, and that's just all family stuff he inherited and then he was able to go to school uh he does kind of fritter away some money in his twenties, but mostly he was a dedicated scholar. He famously had these massive libraries,
1: didn't he speak like five languages or something, and he could read oh. in, like even more languages than that and
0: probably, and I think like the Library of Congress, like it was started with like Jefferson donating. His second library, because he like lost his first like just it's anyway, just he was a scholar, if nothing else. He was right. just kind of an aristocratic, scholarly type, who did then become a lawyer and was very, very well educated to your point there. And then because of his work as a lawyer and a scholar, he is elected to political office within Virginia. And then from there, he's kind of just in the right place at the right time. He wasn't necessarily openly ambitious like a Franklin might be. As far as you know, getting after it, he was just kind of the guy in Virginia. Oh, okay. Hey, we need someone for this Continental Congress. Jefferson, go down there for us or up there. (laughs) Yeah. So, second Continental Congress is happening. They send Jefferson. He's thirty-two years old. And then, just real briefly, they show his wife is one of the two female actors in this whole film,
1: who is played by
0: Oh Blythe Danner,
1: Gwyneth Paltrow's mom.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Blythe Danner, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. Yep. That's kind of funny. So, in real life, they were married in 1772. Uh, It was actually her second marriage, but her husband had died. They were reportedly very happy, and we do see that in the film. They seem very pleased to see each other. (laughs) Uh, And there's even kind of, yeah, jokes about that. It's like even Adams is like, wait, what, now? It's like it's the middle of the afternoon. It can't be. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Franklin just kind of has that knowing look. Uh, sadly uh, Martha died in 1782 which is kind of crazy if you think about that being just six years after we see her in the film here but she was just kind of generally sick and diabetic and then weakened by childbirth and the 18th century was obviously still pretty pretty rough on on the medical front that's really all I I had I had about Jefferson but that's just kind of what gets this well-educated young man from Virginia in the right place at the right time to be asked to then write the declaration of independence or at least kind of be the be the lead writer of that committee and that kind of just becomes the process that we're all kind of familiar with i guess
1: so jefferson did end up writing the declaration and just like we see uh in the movie there's uh, a lot of debate as far as the wording and what should be left in and taken out and a lot of it adams and jefferson had no choice but to concede because it's like pretty much if they gave pushback if they give too much pushback, then the delegates that wanted, you know, whatever thing taken out of the Declaration would just say, okay, well, then we're not going to vote with you for independence. And independence is just
0: crushed. And now, okay, so that is how they portray it in the film. And I'm, I'm actually a hair confused to what extent that is accurate. And only because I say that because one, one of the things, again, this is just on the Wikipedia article about the movie and historical accuracies, inaccuracies. And it was saying that those were separate. So, like, they did vote for it to be removed, ultimately. Uh-huh. But that... So, basically, the movie's maybe uh, dramatizing things that were already decided. That the independence vote was completely separate from the movie removing the slave clause within it. Oh. So, the movie makes it sound like it, the independence is depending on the slave thing. And it sounds like, ah, those are kind of separate. Like, yeah, they insisted it had to be removed, but they were already on board with independence. Does that make sense? Right. The, the movie is probably being a little bit disingenuous with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't a uh, a like down to the wire at the same time thing like we see in the movie.
0: Right, right. It, it was heated, but not necessarily right. as dramatic as the movie makes it. Yeah.
1: Which I I actually that was a, another note that I had about the movie specifically was the way that they handled the debate over slavery. I thought was actually decent. Yo, yes, yes. I did have some issues, but like when he first brought it up, I was like, "Oh, here we go. We're going to have, you know, the guy from the South say that slavery is good, and then the Northerners are going to say slavery's bad, even though they all had slaves too." Right. But they didn't. And the the guy from the South actually brings up and points out their hypocrisy. Right, basically saying, oh, you're gonna you're gonna talk shit and say that the king has his slaves here in the colonies, and we're the slaveholders, and you're gonna like we want that taken out because we that makes us look bad. And yeah, you might not like slavery, but it, we depend on it for our economy. And oh, and by the way, you have slaves too, right? Like, what are you what are you talking about, right? How are you gonna how are you gonna be on your on your high horse, exactly? And which one of one of the issues I have with this though is Thomas Jefferson being like, well, I freed my slaves. And it's almost framed as like a, oh wow, what a what a good guy It's like, yeah, but you had him in the first place
0: right and thats I think it's an inaccuracy. He had not as of this time in real life he does it right. like later yeah. on his deathbed yeah exactly
1: yeah. yeah so it's like that I thought was kind of silly, but the way that it the debate kind of played out in the movie, I thought was actually handled relatively well especially for a movie that came out in the 70s true so um the declaration of independence was approved by congress on july 2nd i think is it like the final draft was written on the 4th that's why it says on the one that's in the archives in congress july 4th 1776
0: yeah basically i think on the second is when they all agreed on independence which is why john adams thought that that would be the date that would be independence day but yeah. it's more of, like, a bureaucratic thing where, like, the draft is finally approved on the 4th. Right. And that ends up being the day celebrated. But then there's even some debate on when they actually signed it. So in the movie, they make them sign it on the 4th. But then I was reading that, like, nah, they might have actually signed it a little bit later and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But the 4th is what was decided. Yeah. But the the reason that
1: we celebrate the 4th of July as Independence Day is because on the Declaration of Independence, on the... The famous one, the famous draft, the one that's in... The official in, one, yeah. Yeah, the one that's in the National Archives, it says, in Congress, July 4th, 1776. Right. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. He, John Adams did think that we were all going to celebrate on July 2nd, because, and he actually wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, predicting that... This
0: day will be remembered with fireworks for centuries, and yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, he said, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. And like... That's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So, just some other, I have some other stuff about Adams post-declaration. He was uh, kind of a de facto defense secretary for the Continental Army, even though like there wasn't that position. That position didn't exist because there wasn't like a president with a cabinet but he was the chairman of the board of war and Ordnance, which was made up of members of the continental congress and basically their job was to help raise troops and keep track of supplies and ammunition and stuff like that and then, so as the as the chairman of that board he was kind of the defense secretary for the continental military he served as, and this is all pre America winning the revolution, um, but he served as uh, commissioner to France, ambassador to the Dutch Republic, and was also the first US ambassador to Great Britain, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yes,
0: which we see in the miniseries. Yeah. Where he's kind of awkwardly not sure how to like back out of the room with the king and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is, and I have a, a quote here from Adams, which kind of goes to something that we talked about or that we have talked about before at this point in history now we're starting to have people like born in america and who consider themselves americans rather than just like british people that happen to live in the colonies yes and obviously john adams would have really strong feelings about this but i think it kind of reflects a lot of sentiment that other people would have felt at the time so when he was the ambassador to great britain Someone mentioned that he, or like assumed that he had uh, some sort of family ties in England still. And Adam's response to this person was Neither my father or mother, grandfather or grandmother, great grandfather or great grandmother, nor any other relation that I know of or care a farthing for has been in England these 150 years. So that you see, I have not one drop of blood in my veins but what is American. Oh, wow. Man. Basically, this guy. Adam's told this guy, like, hey, check yourself. I do not care about any British people. (laughs) No one (laughs) in my family is British. We're all Americans. We have been for 150 years.
0: And again, it's always kind of interesting, too, where where I've talked about before, where in an American identity, you do kind of see this, you know, these 1770s as the beginning, or then the colonies before that, as the beginning of our nation and our cultural identity. Right. And, you know, I've always kind of, Not made the argument, but then, like, if you're thinking about being an English colony, well, then American history does actually extend to English history before that. But then Adams there kind of makes the point that, like, no, not really. It begins and ends in North America. I'm like, okay, okay,
1: I can see that. (laughs) So after the war was over, the first presidential election in the United States happened in 1789 that Adam, it's not really a race like we have today, like where you have candidates who are basically saying, I want to be the president, please vote for me. Basically, all the states sent their electors. And it was kind of a foregone conclusion that George Washington was going to be the president. And at that time in history, when the electors gathered, whoever got the most votes was the president and whoever got the second most was the vice president. I actually kind of like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the idea that, like, it was considered inappropriate to nominate yourself to run for president. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, that'd be like, how dare you be so presumptuous as to declare your candidacy? We will nominate you. I'm like, yeah. That'd be nice too. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, George Washington obviously got the most votes. So, he was the first president. And Adams got the second most. So, he was the vice president. And that same thing happened in the next election. So Adams was the first vice president of the United States from 1789 to 1797. The first actual like race for president was in 1796. And this is when you have the Federalist Party and the Republican Party. So the U.S. had become uh, – this is where you start to see partisanship happening, which right. continues to this day
0: because Washington had avoided that. Washington Washington is the only president with no party, yeah. Right,
1: yeah. So Alexander Hamilton was like the big head of the Federalist movement. Thomas Jefferson was the big head of the Republican movement. And I didn't look into specifics of why, but Adams was chosen as the candidate for the Federalists, and Jefferson was uh, ran as the Republican candidate. And so in that presidential election, Adams won a very close election and became the second president of the United States with Jefferson as his VP because Jefferson got the second most votes. Uh, which again, I kind of like that. That like, okay, these two guys are running against each other, but no matter who wins, the other person is going to be basically second in command anyway.
0: Right. I think it kind of forces maybe more moderate candidates and all those kinds of things potentially. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and we'll we'll talk a lot. That gets into like the early eighteen hundreds, which which we'll talk we'll talk a lot more about in other episodes. Uh, but I did want to close on this kind of interesting, famous fact of American history that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on the same day. They both died no. on July 4th, 1826, so exactly 50 years after yeah. American Independence Day. Kind of crazy. And the fact that Thomas Jefferson died a few hours before Adams, but Adams' last words were, Thomas Jefferson survives because he hadn't been notified of his death yet It was basically like, you know yeah hey I, i'm going but at least we still have Thomas Jefferson but he was he had already been dead for hours
0: yeah kind of crazy like it's almost like that can't be real yeah that's that's real they both died on right. the 50th anniversary of July 4th on the same day within hours of each other yeah and and they were kind of like too we'll get maybe we'll get more into that later too they're kind of like these Front of me, so even though they, oh, like, yeah. they, were, they were rivals, there they like had a lot of respect for each other, but they also had some things they were fundamentally opposed on, and that's right. kind of what led to a rift between them and different, you know, running against each other. Yeah, yeah, is yeah, kind of kind of fascinating.
1: I did also want to just quickly run through the other New England delegates. Um, I'm not going to go into depth on on any of them, but from Rhode Island, we see Stephen Hawking's or Stephen Stephen Hawking Stephen Hopkins. <laughs> Stephen Hopkins, he's in the movie uh, from Connecticut, Robert Sherman, or Roger Sherman, good God, I'm messing all these names up, Roger Sherman, who was one of the Committee of Five, we see him in the movie, from Delaware, Thomas McKean, George Reed, and Caesar Rodney, who is the super old dude with the, like, patch thing on his face. right. Which- that's actually not true, yeah, no, 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 that's real. He had oh. face cancer,
0: oh, but i but I read he I read he wasn't dying though that he lived for quite a bit after this,
1: oh right, no no, 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 he 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 wasn't dying, but he did have face cancer,
0: okay, okay, so like that patch thing is like
1: something that he probably would have been wearing, um, uh, which I oh, thought crazy was kind of kind of cool, and then from New Hampshire, Josiah Bartlett, oh, who for any right. West Wing fans out there. When they talk about Jed Bartlett, who's the president in the TV show The West Wing, he is from New Hampshire and talks about how his family ties go all the way back to the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and Josiah Bartlett is mentioned by name in that show several times. Right, right. Josiah Bartlett is a real guy. Like, that, that is historically accurate. There was a Josiah Bartlett from New Hampshire who signed the Declaration of Independence.
0: Well, and supposedly the same Bartlett family that is the ancestors of the one in Chini here that you know Braden's been on the history or sorry Braden's been on the track nerd podcast multiple times that's supposedly his family can trace back to the same Josiah Barlow.
1: oh really that's cool
0: yeah yeah I I want to see those records because I'm like I'm excited for him and also like jealous that they have that connection but it's like I want to I want to see it I want to see that on paper <laughs> I'll just send this send this episode to Braden to remind him I want to see all that <laughs> no I even like When we initially started breaking down this movie or talking about this movie, I kind of wanted to... I mean, I feel like it'd be appropriate to do a deeper dive on everybody or on all 13 colonies. But then you start to realize that, like, that's going to be overwhelming, right? And I'm proved correct in the fact that we've been talking for over an hour and we haven't even begun. So, yes, (laughs) in my mind, we're always going to have kind of different delegates here. I do want to mention, though, I do think it's important to talk about at least what what the 13 original colonies were because it's not necessarily what you all, what everyone thinks. So because New England wasn't as many colonies as it is states today, because notably there was no Vermont yet and there was no Maine yet. Right. So even though those, that territory was kind of New England, why should I say that Vermont was considered part of New York, although New Hampshire kind of disputed that. So it was actually, Vermont was kind of like almost disputed territory between Uh, new hampshire and new york but was considered Uh part of new york Uh, and then maine was actually part of the massachusetts colony that later separated to become a separate state so new england was really just new hampshire or sorry new hampshire massachusetts connecticut and rhode island those four colonies were new england so then south and there you have virginia again no west virginia because that was a civil war split so virginia is one thing maryland new york and new jersey pennsylvania delaware north carolina south carolina and georgia so those are the 13 colonies all along the eastern seaboard there no florida yet because that was still part of spain and then everything else kind of along the coast
1: oh i forgot to mention uh also from new england john hancock oh the most famous signature on the declaration of independence yes he's from massachusetts as well yes and he was he was actually the president of the congress right
0: like we see yeah that's what i didn't realize i didn't realize how prominent he was at the congress he was essentially the president of the congress in the sense that he was the one running the meeting he was the person in charge of the meeting was john hancock who then they show in the film signing first then they kind of joke that it's a big you kind of you kind of get the famous quotes from john hancock within the film than too and that was actually a really cool way they did that and i actually even kind of liked how he was portrayed as Mm -hmm. he was for independence and basically told adams i'll do whatever you say but also was trying to be impartial and correctly run the meeting properly like he was trying not to let his bias show he's like i want to lean this way but I'm not going to let that play into my decision.
1: Oh, right. And and he was also very much in faith. Basically, Adams was like, I want to push independence through no matter what. I don't care if if the vote is, you know, seven to five or whatever. Like, I don't care how many people, as long as we get a majority, let's push it through. And John Hancock is like, no, we're not going to do that. It needs to be unanimous because if we're going to stand united as a country, that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. And he even brings up like, In the states that vote against, they're going to have to be then fighting brother against brother, and I'm not going to put that on a on our brand new country. Right?
0: They do a fairly good job of giving personalities to the different candidates. They have the Rhode Island delegate is kind of the the drunk uh, of the group, and (laughs) yeah, and uh, the other one too, uh, Dickinson, the other guy from Pennsylvania. That's another thing that Wikipedia said was kind of wrong. They cast him as a big antagonist and kind of basically that he's a, a loyalist and like the last one to. Actually ends up leaving, leaving the delegation, right? Over the over the whole thing?
1: Yes. At the very end, Pennsylvania is the last one to vote. And instead of letting Dickinson cast a vote no that would have destroyed the independence chance, Benjamin Franklin says, I want you to pull the delegation. And there's three of them. There you go. So basically, whichever, we'll, we'll vote for our vote right and Benjamin Franklin votes for independence Dickinson votes against and then it's the third guy which I forget his name but it was like that ended up being like the resolution to a callback earlier where Benjamin Franklin basically tells this guy he's a coward and Mm. you know even as a judge you only ever went off precedence so like you've never made a decision for yourself type thing and then that guy ends up basically
0: being the deciding vote right having
1: this personal realization that oh I, I do want to have some agency in my life and then he yeah votes votes for independence.
0: But that sounds like that was all invented for the play right. and the yeah. and the film. Yeah, yeah. And then so broader strokes, um I kinda wanted so well a few kind of just random notes here I guess then. So one, Thomas Paine's pamphlet Common Sense, is again, another thing we kinda learn about from grade school, and that was published yep. in early 1776 anonymously, because again a lot of this stuff was literally dangerous for these people to voice these ideas. And so common sense basically just said, we don't need a king, we can basically run our own country. And and, and that maybe independence wasn't something that was openly discussed on the streets, pre common sense, like it was maybe more of a private sentiment. And then maybe a few people thought that but it wasn't necessarily the route that we were planning to go. Thomas Paine's pamphlet, um, incendiary was the word that was uh, used. And if you hear people talking about common sense at the time, in upselling, Half a million printed copies in the colonies in England and stuff at at the time, so it was actually very, very influential.
1: Isn't it like it's like per capita the best-selling literary work of all time, or something like that? Or, or it's up there.
0: Yeah, the video I saw on YouTube said it'd be the equivalent of selling 20 million copies today. So pretty up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of in general, we talked about Jefferson being in the right place, right time to be on the committee, but then in general too, just. The American Revolution itself was kind of a right place, right time thing because we're coming up on the heels of the Enlightenment and these ideas that individual people have agency and that maybe there shouldn't be this divine right of kings thing. And there's a quote in the film that I actually couldn't find a way to verify this, but Franklin says, no other colony in human history has ever broken away from its mother country. And it may actually be true. Again, I, I couldn't. I don't actually know how to Google that to verify it. because anytime right. you Google that kind of thing, it just brings up the United States anyway. But I think that kind of sentiment is at least close to true. And then I guess it just blows my mind too. Like, what's today's oldest democracy? The United States. Yeah. Like this was yep. this was huge on the world history scale that this country was throwing off the shackles of a monarchy, and the citizens themselves. With several asterisks that we mean (laughs) land-owning white men. Right. But that's still a complete change from monarchies and oligarchies and just, you know, just this kind of like elites ruling. The fact that the quote-unquote ordinary citizens actually decided how to run their own independent nation was unique and innovative and completely new at the time. And and then that has ripple effects throughout the rest of the world for centuries. And what's interesting, too, and this probably is maybe something more for next time, but I just thought of it, is even calling Washington the president and they're debating what title to give him. Right. The whole idea is that president was actually, you know, because that's such an uh, august title today that it's like, no, it's one who presides it's just right. the guy in charge of the meeting he's the one who presides over us he's the president the president right. and it was supposed to be so so mundane of a title right. it's only been elevated because of the strengths that that position has within the united states and then the united states position within the world so other people call their 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 leaders presidents but it was meant initially to be a mundane title that just kind of like yeah just like chairman it'd be like chairman yeah of course again yeah anyway
1: just like we call you know we have congress with a capital c and that's like oh the big like important ruling body where at the time congress is just like a group of guys
0: right it just means a meeting we were were trying to be mundane but then because of the success that these mundane names ended up having then the the names become elevated yeah it's kind of kind of interesting how how that played out
1: I do have a couple more notes um, okay. on, on the movie itself. So I <laughs> I have a note here that said life is shitty in 1776, which they do a good job of illustrating. Like one of the first things they see is everyone saying how super hot it is, but they can't open any windows because there's too many flies outside. <laughs> Ugh. And it's like, so they're yeah. making the choice to suffer in the heat because they don't want to deal with all the flies. It's like, man, what, what a rough time. That sucks. Also in the... Uh, song slash letter between Adams and Abigail towards the beginning of the movie. She talks about how the kids have dysentery, smallpox, and the flu. (laughs) And John Adams' response is, what else is new? (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh which yep. (laughs) And then oh something that I thought was funny is like how hard up these people were for like entertainment when the fire wagon is going by to like go put out a house fire everyone's like running behind it and it's like "Ooh, cool the fire wagon like let's go see what what they're up to like let's follow it let's see go, go see whose house is on fire and it was like an entertainment thing for them was to follow the fire wagon which i thought was funny and then finally i have something I, it, this is kind of out of left field but it's something that uh, i thought was interesting so in the song where all of the conservatives are singing you have that group of delegates that are the conservatives they're like the kind of basically we would consider like the super capitalist guys Mm. basically talking about how great they are because of how much gold and money they have in that song actually i think it's actually right before the song dickinson addresses something that is something that i've seen addressed before where people and this kind of goes to just in general people on the political left are sometimes confused about why there are so many poor people or you know people in lower economic classes who are conservative, despite the fact that conservative policies hurt them financially. Okay. Yeah. Whereas if they were if they were more aligned with the political left, they would materially benefit more. Which I, and I know that conservatives' argument for this would be like, well you know, maybe directly a benefit, but in the long run, you know, the conservative viewpoint, you know, benefits everyone more, but that's, you know, whatever, that that could be it's a <laughs> whole bunch of mess of stuff that I don't want to get into. But, yeah, you know, they say, well, why, why would, basically, why would you vote for people who are so conservative when if you voted for people who are more on the left, you could get more material benefits kind of, you know, right away. And Dickinson's response to this kind of issue being brought up is he said, Most men with nothing would rather protect the possibility of becoming rich than face the reality of being poor.
0: Is that in the film or just something he said in real life?
1: That's something in the movie. I don't know if he really said it in real life. In the movie, he says that, though.
0: Okay, I missed that. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: But I just thought that that was kind of an an interesting idea that was brought up and not really even dwelled upon that much. Hmm. But, yeah, I just thought that that was interesting
0: so yeah on the movie itself on rotten tomatoes it's a 69 slash 84 so okay okay that's pretty respectable
1: it's got an 84 audience score
0: yeah yeah that's
1: higher than i would have thought honestly yeah
0: maybe my mom just voted a thousand times (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then without looking guess it's one oscar nomination uh oh it's it's one oscar nomination um i am gonna say oh costumes no, it's actually uh, cinematography. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that, Why? <laughs> I don't know. That's so strange. Because isn't it all like inside and on stages?
1: Like, I don't understand that either. You know what? Notice, though, that this is a musical. And my very last guess would have been Best Original Song. Because none of the songs are that good. Yeah. <laughs> the songs are the worst part of the movie. True.
0: <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, I, the one song I actually probably liked the best was the Richard Henry, Henry Lee singing about himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was actually probably my favorite song. And it's like the first song and their second song in the whole thing. Okay, so that kind of gets us through the signing of the Declaration of Independence in American history here. And next time, we're finally getting to a movie we both agree is really, really good. A, a what? of what I was rich, say, a movie if, if, if you agree it counts as a movie but yes uh <laughs> join us next time as we discuss the hit musical hamilton